Harta de parte de Jorge. Harta de parte de Jorge. IPMNation.com Professor Brian Ogstad from the Anarcho-Capitalist cast joins me tonight again so I can uh, ask him a few more questions about economics. And then uh, we'll get into the debate a little bit. I'll talk about uh, my thoughts on tonight's Republican debate. Surprisingly tame and civil. It looks like Trump is pivoting for the general election. It's, uh, it's about that time. So uh, it is, uh, speaking of about that time, it's 11 p.m. in the Eastern Time Zone on March 10th, 2016. And we are live. Matt Connerton Unleashed starts right now. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, it's Matt Connerton Unleashed. We're live on IPM Nation 2 and, of course, OTR-FM. Debate night. I'll get into that uh, a little bit later, Republican debate. It was interesting, but for uh, for different reasons than the previous ones have been. And we have uh, joining us via Skype tonight, Professor Brian Ogstad returns. Brian, are you there? Hey, Matt. Welcome back. And uh, you are, of course, the host of the, am I saying it correctly, the Anarcho... Ca- capitalist cast I'm, I'm close anacro oh, it's a okay. play on anarcho but i use anacro um which i know i've only had two people catch that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so far so i, I kind of wait and see who actually catches that right. but anacro meaning out of out of chronological order yes so basically it's a play saying you know capitalism is out of place in today's time um, yeah. with our current political system <laughs> and we do have those in rotation on both ipm nation one and two and uh right. they're they're usually what about what five or six minutes long and they uh they pop up in the rotation there people can listen to them and uh and you just released a new one correct oh i did yes yeah, a new one the one i just did most recently is called um, vices are not crimes mm-hmm. um taken from lysander spooner's short essay and uh, now I haven't had a chance to listen to that yet, unfortunately, nor have I read that essay you are referring to. But I'm, I'm going to make a make a, a guess. Tell me if I'm right. I, I assume that it discusses sure. how, you know, things like, for example, uh, the possession and use of cannabis should not be a felony. Right. Yeah. Basically, um, Spooner lays it out. Um, I, I mean, I do it much shorter because I, I want to keep the, the podcast to five minutes for people that get, just get something really quick. Yeah. Um, but I, I get right to the point. Um, basically it is, um, the vices do not hurt anybody. Um, uh, they hurt no, no person or no property. And the essence of what crime is, is to harm another person or harm another person's property. So in essence, if you're doing something that's causing no harm to anybody or their property, it, 
it is really um, not a crime and people should just leave leave you alone. Right. That doesn't mean we necessarily agree with what everybody's doing. We don't have to, but we don't have the right to use coercion or force against them to get them to stop either. I absolutely the harm, agree. Yeah, but the harm comes if somebody actually hurts somebody. Right. That's, that's where the focus needs to be. Sometimes uh, people on the other side of that argument will kind of um, will say to me, well, what about, you know, if, if someone if someone is um, involved in in these vices and it leads them to, you know, just as an example. Uh, and again, this is an example that, that they would use, you know, to, to burglarize a home or something because they need money to pay for more of whatever their vice is or something. And that's how the, these things lead to um, to crime that does hurt someone. And my response always is, well, fine, then whatever that crime is. You know, the actual crime where someone is victimized, if someone gets mugged or someone's burglarized or stolen from in some way, that is what they should be prosecuted for. The actual trespass on another person's well-being and stealing from them, not not the vice itself. You know, millions of people every day uh, use cannabis and don't go out and rob anyone, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, ex exactly. Most people are... are um, just like everybody else, they're peaceful. They don't want to hurt anybody. They just want to yeah. go about their business. Um, no different than maybe having a couple of beers. Um, so yeah, so they should be left alone. But that's not to say that someone who may not drink occasionally may drive and cause an accident. Right. Um, but it is the the true harm. I mean, we can you know drinking and driving maybe another that's another touchy subject. But but actually harm is the is the real problem is when somebody actually harms somebody. And I think the government actually does more harm. By just flat out telling people they can't do something, mm -hmm. um, because then basically it limits, it, it removes the ability for someone to think um, about the issue and whether this is actually something good for them or not. Yeah. Um, so I think that's also a great harm. Right. It just forces the whole thing underground. It it, it creates a, you know, I I don't think we use the term much anymore, but a black market for these things, and you mm -hmm. know, too. Um, some of my friends who are pro-drug war will say, uh, you know, we can't, well, for one thing, they're, they're just convinced that cannabis is evil, but mm -hmm. they also really kind of believe this fallacy that it being illegal prevents some people from engaging in it. And I always say, well, then why do we have this mass incarceration of low-level drug offenders if it, if it being illegal actually stops anybody from doing it? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the best, um, the best um, argument against that sort of statement is, um, is the prohibition. Mm -hmm. You know, prohibition, I mean, that's, there's been a lot of good studies out about that since. And all, you know, most, most economists, you know, realize that actually, you know, you know, prohibition caused more harm than it did good. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's the best example, I think. Yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, ask you, I had a, a couple of specific things. We had a, a great conversation the last time you were on, and then it was, but it was kind of one of those things where almost immediately after I'm thinking, oh, you know what, I should have asked him about this, and I should have asked him about that. But, okay. um I want to ask you about, and I, I had mentioned this in a message to you on, on, on Facebook, that um, I wanted to get your opinion on how much does 
a president actually affect the United States economy? Because my theory has always been that really probably not much. Um, you know, people, I think, have kind of an overinflated idea of how much, the, how much power the executive actually has. I mean, my, my view of it is that, that the president, you know, he's commander-in-chief of the military and obviously has tremendous control over our foreign policy. But domestically, you know, it's more of a bully pulpit kind of thing. And I don't think he really has much influence. But I wanted to, to really um, uh, get your view on that. Yeah, I, I would. I tend to agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at the you know the Constitution, the you know um, the Article, I think it's Article Two, where it expresses the duties of the president. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you read through the, that list, there's like nothing there that really says gives them much power over the economy. Like you said, they have power over the military. Um, I think maybe one of the I guess there's only two in there that I can even think of that are that would even in a roundabout way give them power, which is one is that in times of emergency that Congress um, can give the president um, authority to act over the economy. So, you know, they may in a roundabout way get power over the economy that way. And, and sometimes we see that, we, you know, president saying, oh, well, this is a time of crisis. Therefore, I need to act. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. So we may see something like that. Um, and the other one I think that I can think of where I think they may actually be able to control the economy maybe would be by issuing executive orders. Um, but those would be, I think for the most part, those would be pretty small um, mm-hmm. and not, can't manipulate and affect it to a great deal. But, um, but you, I, you're right though. I think we, we have this impression because the way it's always talked about, you know, the presidents are held in such a high position in the United States where we look and say, well, this president, we had, you know, brought down the deficit under this president or unemployment fell under this president, giving them credit when really they may not have had a whole lot to do with it, but they just happened to be in office at the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They get, uh, they get the credit or, uh, or they get the blame. Um, we're already up against a break. Brian, can you, um, stick around for another segment? You bet. Oh, that would be fantastic. Thank you. Cause I do want to delve into this a little bit more. So we're chatting tonight with uh, Professor Brian Ogstad, and uh, he is uh, one of the newer members of the IPM Nation family, and uh, very happy to have him as a part of that. And we are live, and uh, before we go to the break, just a quick reminder, if anyone wants to chime in tonight, if you have a question or a comment about anything, 617-917-4IPM, 617-917-4476, you can call or text at that number. And uh, we would be happy to talk to you. Of course, we have the chat room open, too, at ipmnation.com slash live, too. And we are live from the Uptown Auto Repair Studio, powered by Ambit Energy. More to come. Don't go away. Are you tired of being called cold-hearted because you love liberty? Healing Our World, The Compassion of Libertarianism by Dr. Mary Ruart shows how freedom enriches the poor, protects the environment, deters crime, and diffuses terrorism. 
with a foreword by Dr. Ron Paul and over 1,300 examples of how liberty works in the real world, Healing Our World makes a great gift for your liberal, Christian, New Age, and green friends. Order today at ipmnation.com slash books. Volume discounts are available, so order Healing Our World, The Compassion of Libertarianism by Dr. Mary Ruart today at ipmnation.com slash books. IPMNation.com Welcome back, everybody. Matt Connerton Unleashed. We're live tonight on IPM Nation 2, as we are five nights a week at 11 p.m. Eastern. And, uh, of course, Tuesday and Thursday nights, we have the honor and privilege of also being on OTRFM, the premium channel on the OM Times Radio Network. And joining us via Skype, he uh, has agreed to, to stick around, Professor Brian Ogstad. And uh, so, Brian, um, are there some ways we were talking about, you know, how much uh, power or influence the president actually has over the economy? Um, what about, I, I don't know how closely you've been following it, but Donald Trump talks a lot about, and he talked about it in the debate tonight, I don't know if you saw any of it, but he's always talking about uh, trade deals, and he's going to renegotiate all the trade deals, and, and uh, you know, China is ripping us off, and they manipulate their currency and all that, and I, I always wonder, does he, in your estimation, is, is there anything to what he says, or is he just kind of... Um, throwing a lot of stuff out there that, that sounds good. Well, yeah, that's one of the, that's one in the, in article two, that is one of the areas where the president can, can actually affect, you know, make, they have the power. They are the sole, they are the branch, the executive branch is the branch that has the power to make treaties with foreign nations. So yeah, they can like pick place tariffs and quotas and, you know, make, okay. make restrictions with, with, with foreign governments but all that does is act as impediments to trade because really, truly, governments don't trade. Mm-hmm. It's individuals within nations which trade with each other. You know, if I buy some, if I want to buy something from China, I don't trade with the government of China. You know, I go online and I find something I want and they have the best deal and the best quality, whatever I'm looking for, so I buy it from them. Mm-hmm. And then we have to deal with all of the regulation and taxes and, and in order to make our transaction happen. So really all they do when they say that is just try to get in the way of um, people freely trading. So if, you know, if I was Trump, I would say, yeah, a better deal would be just to, to tear down all the restrictions, the impediments like tariffs and quotas. Um, and let people freely trade. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, Ted Cruz uh, tonight during the debate seemed to indicate that, you know, he felt that uh, these additional uh, tariffs that Trump was proposing would, would make things worse, not mm-hmm. better. But, um, but uh, it's interesting what you're saying. So, yeah, get rid of, the, get, get rid of them in, entirely. Yes. yes. Um, tariffs, increasing tariffs would make it worse. That is true. What is the um, is there any other way where the president does directly influence uh, the economy? Do you think? I mean, one one thing I wanted to ask you about with that mm-hmm. too is a lot of people kind of blamed uh, when Jimmy Carter was president. You know, he made that uh, that 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 uh, famous malaise speech, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people think that um, when you have the president of the United States 
sounding really kind of defeated and desperate, <laughs> that that affects the economy in a um, in a, in sort yeah. of a psychological way. It, it has a, a bad effect. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think it's absolutely right. That's the whole psychological side of it, right? When someone when someone stands up and is preaching doom and gloom, mm. you know, we tend to think the worst. If they're positive about the future and about tomorrow, you know, we're more optimistic about it. So I think that's true. And I also think the other thing that um, comes to mind when you say that, um, there's, you, um, and I think you you alluded to it, there's all kinds of latent power, you know, hidden power that the president has, you know, to get things done that we don't necessarily see. Because mm-hmm. um, I think the true, the two true ways the economy, um, um, that affects the economy is taxes and spending, that's one. Then the other one is th- through the money, money supply, which would be the Federal Reserve. So those are the true, but you know that that's true that the president works with those, works with the Fed, works with the legislature to try to get things done. Although he can't directly make them happen, you know he needs the legislature to pass tax cuts or tax increases. He needs you know Janet Yellen at the Fed to you know increase the money supply or retract it if he wants to slow things down. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, the latent the latent aspect of it and trying to, you know, use his power to get them to act in the way he wants them to act is there, sure. Uh let me ask you this too regarding the unemployment rate. Um is it time to stop using that as any kind of economic barometer and maybe kind of pivot more to as some people have it would appear uh, toward really focusing more on the uh, labor participation rate is is the unemployment rate kind of a dead issue? I mean, I know it's gone down; it's it's low right now, and so of course some people see that as a victory, but then others say, "Well, that that really does not tell the the true story of the uh, of the uh, yeah. work situation." Right. There's so many hidden things go- going on. I mean, when you, I mean, it would, it would it would take too long probably to talk about it, and it probably would not be all that interesting, to, except for maybe to me and a, a few others. <laughs> but um, when you really break down what these things measure, uh, like the unemployment rate, there's only a certain time frame, and once they fall out of that, people fall out of that time frame. They're no longer measured. Right. Or there's people who get discouraged, and you know they can't find a job, so they quit looking. And they would still be unemployed. And there's people who are self-employed who maybe their their business closed, so now they are, are technically unemployed, but they wouldn't be counted. So yeah, there's things like that that really don't make um, a lot of these numbers very accurate. I would say, and I always very skeptical of them too because the you know the government does their own reporting of these numbers, and of course you know they. It's in their best interest and their incentive to show them in the most positive light. So I've always, you know, I'm always very skeptical. Of whatever they report, is it as accurate as what they're saying it is? Not, you know, you know, take putting aside all the errors and in, in looking at the numbers. Right. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, to me, when any of the economic indicators that we use, I think that, that their main benefit to us is just as a yardstick to say this is where it was and now it's here. Okay. And the actual numbers behind it are, can be fuzzy and, and um, obfuscated, you know, kind of hidden. But um, we can at least use it as a yardstick to see if it's moving in the right direction or not. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about the economy right now? Um, I think it's chugging along okay. But I yeah. think it's um, 
it's only due to the fact of the the Fed continuing along the lines with the money supply can keep mm-hmm. as long as the Fed keeps pumping new money out, um, keeps increasing the money supply, um, the, the economy will continue to do do okay. It may not be super great, it may, but it'll continue to move ahead, and everyone will feel comfortable. Um, the minute that slows down, though, that's when we'll f- uh, fall into another recession. Um, it's kind of um, like a like a bubble and bust. And the bubbles are created by massive increases of money creation, and eventually the government's got to slow it down because they know they do. Because if we, you know, we, you know, we have so much inflation. If you look at, you know, well, you know, you know, we all know inflation happens because prices are rising. Then mm-hmm. most people that I talk to you want to, you know, all they blame it on is like, oh, it's prices are rising, is the market, people are, you know, but really it's, you know, prices only rise because of new money creation. So when the government creates more money. Um, more money is chasing fewer goods, and when that happens, price go up. Prices go up when we get inflation, um, and it just gets it just gets um, out of hand. So, not to get not to get doom and gloom, but um, no. there are I've I've heard people who ascribe to to various uh, economic theories. I've I've heard mm-hmm. I've heard people over the last few years say. That the ultimately this whole global economic system that we have is is destined to at some point, hopefully not in the near future, but it is destined to sort of collapse in on itself because of debt. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> uh, sure, I think um, I think eventually that'll happen. Yeah. But I think um, but here's the here's the upside. I guess if there is an upside to that. Yeah, because I, um, so. I don't really like the way the system is. But the right. only upside is, especially here in America, we're very productive. Um, we're very entrepreneur, have a spirit of entrepreneurialism, you know, looking for new ways and better ways to do things, create new products, be more efficient, be more productive. So as long as, you know, like I said, it's a tremendous upside for us and those places around the world that are that way. I think it's, it's, um, it's they'll, they'll survive it a little better. Because as long as we can outpace the government spending and inflation, we'll we will at least be okay. And that's kind of what we do now. We just yeah. we're more productive than the money creation and inflation that the government causes. So as long as we outpace it, we're okay. The minute we don't outpace it, then we're starting to go into retrogression and maybe recession and depression. Okay, well, that was sort of reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded good. Yeah, um, I mean, I think yeah, I don't like it though. I mean, I think yeah. the best. The best thing would be to just to eventually phase it out and get yeah. to some sort of system of sound money. That would be, the, in my opinion, the best way to go. Um, and then we wouldn't have these wild swings that we have. You know, we have these boom and bust periods, like in yeah. 2001 with the internet bubble and bust, and then 2007 with the housing bubble and bust. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same thing. We get lots of new money, speeds it up, then the government's got to slow it down. They got to quit pushing the money up there because they don't want to have the risk of hyperinflation so they got to slow the money down retract the economy and then we fall into recession and i will say this we've um, the government has increased the money supply over five times since 2007 so that means you know that they're heading to a point i think where they got to start retracting it somehow and, and so I'm, i think we may experience a little bit of a recession but it's hard to say when because nobody ever know when you know when they're going to shut the spigot off sure sure 
Um, one more question before we run out of time. It's kind of a, an sure. economic third rail, but um, sure. the debt limit, when that comes up, and now they fight over it, and they never used to, but it's become a politically charged issue, um, I always get very, very worried that we're actually going to default and um, send the global economy into economic Armageddon. More doom and gloom. Uh, am I right to be afraid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, I mean, not terribly, (laughs) but not terribly. Okay. (laughs) Because it kind of goes back to what I was just saying. Um, As long as we're more productive, the government, and and we continue to expand and grow the economy at a a faster rate, the government can still, you know, know, create more money to pay off our creditors, which will keep the economy going and we won't default. So I think as long as we can do that. But then the risk comes in of... Uh, us not the economy, the private sector, and people who are actually productive, not being able to keep pace with the spending. So that is the risk you're you're kind of talking about. Okay. But I um I don't see it as anything happening you know, real soon. Anything in our lifetime. Oh well, good. Well, that sounds really good then. Well, I feel better. <laughs> so, Professor, we'll let you go. Uh, but before before you go, in the the few seconds we have left, uh, please uh, plug your podcast. I'll let you say the name again, so I don't butcher it. Uh, Inequo Capitalist Cast, okay. and it is five minute pod blast. It's um, you can get it on Apple or on SoundCloud, or just listen to IPM Nation. 